here we go then. Let's um, let's kind of jump into the book of Jude. My apologies for not having uh, my mic on. Um, so Jude, again, is, is probably the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He identifies himself as the brother of James here in the beginning of the letter of Jude. Um, but, but Jude is listed as one of the half-brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that James is a half-brother of Christ and the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. Um, so most people would agree and are on the same page with Jude actually being the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's, it's pretty neat that we have preserved in Scripture a letter from um, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting to note, of course, about the half-brothers of Christ that they did not accept Christ as the Messiah until after the resurrection. And so after seeing their brother nailed to a cross and placed in a tomb, resurrected, there was this transformation that took place in their life. And for James, James is actually becomes the, the head of the church in Jerusalem and is martyred uh, for, um, for his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, just ev more evidence we have for the resurrection having taken place, uh, verified uh, by the actions and transformations of people. Uh, Jude's writing to warn the church. He's writing to warn the church about false teachers, false prophets, those who would come in and teach a false doctrine or teach, uh, just um, would embellish the gospel, make it more than it, it is. Uh, that would be legalism. Uh, or those who would err on the other side of um, there being no commitment needing to be made. You just need to kind of show up and be a part of the church. And we see that throughout history in other denominations. Uh, we believe in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jude's writing to warn us, uh, watch out for false teachers. Be aware that they can come into the church, be among you. They can be leaders in the church is what Jude is kind of saying. And so, uh, so he's warning against that type of um, where people have gained admission into the church, maybe become members in the church, been baptized in the church, but then perverts the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through their teaching. Uh, we believe in Jesus alone, by faith alone, right? By grace alone. And, uh, and so someone who comes in and teaches um, uh, perverts that teaching. Uh, James is warning the church, be careful, because this is something that can take place in the church. And so always, I, you know, I always want to remind those members of my congregation uh, that you should never accept anything just because some man says it or, or some lady says it. Always you need to verify everything that's been said and taught by the Word of God through Scripture. And so we always want to base and, and ground ourselves in the Scriptures, not just the teachings of Scripture. Because we need to make sure that we build a foundation for ourselves so that we can recognize when we're being taught something that's not the true gospel or that's not true according to Scripture. And so that's a responsibility that we have as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we grow in maturity studying the Word of God so that we are able to discern what is good, right, and true. The letter's probably written sometimes between AD 65 and, and AD 80, somewhere in that 15-year window. Uh, we don't have any events that would allow us to date this book any closer uh, than that. So we're just looking at what the book covers um, and looking at Second Peter and a couple of the writings. That 15-year window is kind of about the best we can do. And there may be some who would... Um, really be hard and firm on a date like 65 or really hard and firm on 80. 
Um, I would just say probably we have a book that's written somewhere between 65 and 80. Um, and then, of course, of course, that's A.D. So roughly about 30 years after um, the crucifixion, uh, 35 years um, would be an early dating. 50 years after the crucifixion would be a late dating of the book of Jude. And so I, I want to dig into it. I'm not sure how far we can get tonight, uh, but just want to begin. If we get further than than I thought, then then we may finish it up. And if if we need to kind of cut it into two uh, two studies, we'll do that and, and cover the first half tonight. So of course, James uh, Jude identifies himself in verse one. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God and Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And so in this greeting, there's just a couple things that we find almost in every New Testament letter greeting. Uh, the first is this identification of who the writer is. Uh, so typically we have the writer who will identify themselves. Um, the book of Hebrews is, is an example where that's not the case, where in Hebrews no one identifies themselves as the author. Uh, but typically in the letters we have, they, they do identify themselves, and usually they'll give some type of... Um, what makes them, what gives them the authority to teach. And so here, he identifies himself two ways. One, as a servant of Christ. And so as one who follows Christ, he's teaching. Also, the brother of James, what this does is it demonstrates not only that he's a servant of Christ Jesus, but that he, in fact, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now he's given us evidence. He's stated who he is that's writing it, given us his criterion, and, uh, and then in verse 2, we always have kind of a nice introduction where people identify themselves and then uh, wish uh, just a, a good greeting. And so, for James, may peace, uh, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And, and that there's nothing unusual. Um, but I, I just want to say this, that God doesn't just add mercy, peace, and love into the life of the believer's. What God actually does is multiplies mercy, peace, and love to believers. And so before we come to know Christ, in this particular book, it identifies who it's being written to. It's being written to those who are called in Christ, those who are believers. And so therefore, he's saying, believers, I'm wishing you mercy and peace and love. And not just that it be added to you, that it be multiplied to you. And so as Christians, we ought to see this and, and recognize that what God offers is mercy, peace, and love. And he doesn't offer a life free of pain. And he doesn't promise there'll be a life where we won't be sick. In fact, the Lord Jesus told us that if he was persecuted and suffered for righteousness' sake, then those who follow him will, will find themselves in tribulation and trials in the world in which we live where we're set apart and we're different. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. Because we identify ourselves in the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just notice those couple little nuances. Um, that, that mercy, peace, and love is multiplied. And so verse 2 demonstrates that, shows that. Then verse 3, Jude begins to switch a little. And he begins to identify some characteristics to those that as, as the church we need to watch out for. We need to... Um, to guard ourselves against of those who would come into the church and be false teachers. And so he begins in verse 3. Verse 4 is going to be one where we, we stop for a minute. So I want to read 3 and 4, four together. But in verse 3, uh, Jude says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write 
to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. And so as believers, as Christians, our faith is essential to us. It's, it's, a, um, it's a precious thing. And Jude's saying to the church, you know, at first I just wanted to write to you about the common faith we have in Christ. But now I'm having to appeal to you that you would contend, that you would fight for the faith. Because uh, false teachers have crept into the church. And since false teaching has crept into the church, perverting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then Jude is admonishing them to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith. We, we, there's some things that, that it's okay that we disagree on. There's some non-essentials where you, you talk to one pastor and another and they have differing views on certain things. But there's some essential things that we have to agree on. And, and one of those is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to believe the same thing about the gospels. You know, we, we can sometimes disagree over an interpretation of a particular passage. We cannot disagree over the gospel and, and what is the means of salvation. Right? So salvation by faith alone and grace alone through Jesus Christ alone. That is not a non-negotiable. We, we have to stand firm on those things. And so Jude is saying these essential matters, you've got to contend for the faith. And so we can't sit back and allow false teaching to infiltrate the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to fight for the faith, contend for the faith. There's some things that aren't worth fighting for. And Jude's saying this is one of the things that it is worth fighting for, is that we fight for the faith and the gospel. Now, verse 4 is where he begins to describe um, uh, what these false teachers may look like, what they may bring to the table. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. I want you to notice that. If you look throughout church history, what you find is that every time that the church is persecuted from outside of the church, the church prospers, the church grows, the kingdom of God um, really um, multiplies under persecution. But, but you, you'll notice that the tactics of the enemy have changed some. And how do we get into the church? And, and so what Satan is doing is rather than persecuting the church from outside the church, is he, he has crept into the church. And what I mean by that, by, by those who uh, have perverted the faith, by those who uh, have a message that is untrue that they're going to teach. And so now we find division in the church. And those divisions within the church are really uh, where Satan, it's his go-to. And so we find divisions within the church. How? Because uh, we haven't contended for the faith. We haven't really stood strong and made it very clear that these are non-negotiable things. And so when we look at the world around us today, and we look at all the issues that, that quite frankly, uh, the churches are separating and dividing, and we're just, the number of denominations are multiplying because... When, when two, two groups disagree on something, they just form a new denomination. And we have some denominations that have come, become so liberal when it comes to the Word of God that it seems there's absolutely no standard, no fruit that needs to be evident in the life of the believer. And we just believe, no, the Lord's made it very clear there's evidence of salvation. We do know what the true undefiled gospel is. And we're not only to proclaim the gospel, but we're to contend and fight for the gospel. And so we can't compromise in these areas. And so Jude identifies that certain people have crept in, that people have gotten into the church that he's writing to 
Who's he writing to? To Christians. And to Christians he's saying. There are people who have crept into your congregation. There are people that have made themselves a part of your body. And you've got to fight for the faith. You've got to be aware of this. We've got to know when. When we've got to, there's some standards we have to have to be members of the church. If we don't have any standards whatsoever, then how are we going to contend for the faith? How, how are we going to be unified when we have no standards? And so there has to be some means by which we say we are one and we have unity as the book of Ephesians teaches the church to be unified. One body, one spirit, one baptism, one faith. But what is that one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one Jesus? That's what we have to fight for. That's what we have to contend for. I have members in our congregation who are, don't believe in a, a tribulation period that will come after the rapture. I have amillennialists. I have pre-mills. I have pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. And on all those areas... Uh, it's it's not essential that we agree on all those things. I think there's some biblical defense for all those. And so that's not something that I would uh, really down a hill for. But when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it comes to faith in Christ, this is something we have to put our foot down, draw a line in the sand, and contend for the faith. And so Jude is warning us, have your eyes wide open, be on guard. There are people that have already come into the church unnoticed and um and it says this who were long ago designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our god and sensuality and deny our only master and lord jesus christ now we know typically through the old testament and through paul as new testament and through paul's writings that there were these judaizers who would come in and they would say well yeah you have to believe in christ but then you have to do all the ceremonial law things. So you, you have to be circumcised. You have, to, you have these restrictions in your diet. And so they're adding to what it requires to, to have faith in, in Christ. And of course, Paul denounces that in the book of Galatians. Uh, we see in, in Galatians where uh, Paul goes to the Jerusalem council, gets, gets feedback from the Jerusalem council that no, we don't need to require that upon Gentile believers. And so what, what Jude is arguing here is there's one gospel and we have to contend for that. We have to fight for that. And we cannot allow people to come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ unnoticed and begin to spread uh, a false gospel, a false doctrine throughout our church. Those uh, who would deny that there's only one way, right? Jude says that they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the most, um, I, I guess, um, used objection to Christianity by those who, uh, some would, would, would say they are Christian, others would say they're not, is that they have a problem with Jesus Christ being the only way to salvation and relationship to Christ. There are people who would, would argue something like, well, all religions are really based on the the same God and so all religions are just different paths to the same God that's just not true right and so there's only one way and so the Lord Jesus Christ John 14 he told us what the I'm the way the truth and the life that no one comes to the father but by me 
And so if that's the case, if Jesus Christ is the only way, then anyone who comes into our church and tries to teach something more than Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, we need to have a talk with them. We need to sit down and see what it is they really believe and make sure that doctrinally they are aligned with what we believe Scripture teaches. And so this is the warning of Jude. And it, it's, I would just say that we, we see this evident in the church today. That, that it seems that churches have um, allowed doctrine to, to take a back seat to cultural relevance. And so our churches today seem to care more about fitting culturally in to society than, than setting themselves apart from what culture would say is okay. And, and I don't know if it's political correctness. I don't know if it's in an attempt they think maybe they can reach more people that way. But you can't reach lost people with a false gospel. You have to be able to speak the truth in love. Nowhere does Jude or anyone else say we have to speak the truth, but we have to do it in anger, right? We don't need a bullhorn standing outside Walmart telling everybody who goes in that they're going to hell if they don't do this, this, and this. We need to love other people, and we need to share the gospel in love with others. And so 4 gives us a description of what to look out for, and, but it also says this is already in the church. And I would submit, I'm not talking about any building. I just mean in, in the broader universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see this type of corruption that has already come into the body and has caused such division. And it's why, again, we have 13 different types of Presbyterian churches, you know, 20 different types of Baptist churches, uh, because we can't agree on things. When the, the gospel, this essential truth, only one Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, only one way to relationship with the Father is through Christ. This should be something that all of us come together on. This is a minimal fact, right? This is one of the minimum things that we have to agree on. And so Jude is saying, just be aware, look out, watch out, because there are false teachers out there. There are people who can have all the good intentions in the world and yet be preaching a false gospel. And so we need to be uh, versed in the scripture right we need to fall in love with the word of god so that we can test all things that we can make sure that that what's being taught by me right that that you are to take what you see on facebook with me or what you hear from the pulpit from me and you need to test that according to scripture but you need to do that every time you're being taught the word of god and judah's warning us be careful because there are those who would like to come in the galatians paul says who have bewitched you uh, Jude seems to carry kind of that, that same connotation that we're not even aware many times of those who have come into the church and we have allowed them into the church unaware that they have perverted the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says this, Now I want to remind you. So this is something that, that they already know. And so this is what we do in preaching and exhortation is we want to remind you things you've already been taught. So even what we've been talking about here in the book of Jude that we ought to be you know, eyes wide open looking for those who would come in and pervert the truth. We know this, but we constantly need to be reminded of these things. We need to be reminded when we're going through trials and tribulations that Christ promised to never leave or forsake us. We need to know that he's closer, to, uh, closer than a brother to us uh, during those times. And we ought to know that nothing will ever separate us from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to constantly be reminded of these things, all those positive elements. 
But we also need to be reminded as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jude is reminding us of our responsibility to the gospel that has been um, really the church has been entrusted with this beautiful message of Jesus Christ who came and died for the sins of the world that men may have relationship with God the Father. And we've been given that message and entrusted with that message. And Jude is saying, be careful because there are some who would like to come in and change the message, would, would like to come in and take the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and pervert it uh, to what they like, to what seems fitting for them. So now I'll remind you, verse 5 says, um, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And so we see here, and you're going to see what Jude does. Jude will reflect back to the Old Testament, and he will show us examples that warn of the blemishes we might find in the church and the blemishes that God's people had and so there there was a, a people the children of Israel who were led out of Egypt but all of a sudden those people rebelled we see them in the wilderness doing crazy things like making false idols out of, out of gold while Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments all right we see them just crossing the Red Sea and they're not too far on the other side when now they're complaining that they should have just been left in Egypt if Moses has only led them out to the wilderness to die and so verse 5, he begins to talk about that. And that's what he says, those saved people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed uh, those who did not believe. And so you'll remember, even during this time in the wilderness, there was this point where the, the wickedness had come, become so bad that God allowed snakes, serpents to in the wilderness to bite the, the children of Israel. And if they were bitten by a snake, they died. And Moses pleads with God before the people. And, and so God says, we'll make this, uh, this staff, and on the end of it, have a serpent hanging on the end. And when someone's bit with a snake, if they look and believe, if they look to that uh, in faith that they'll be saved and they'll be spared, then God would spare their life. And so those who did not believe uh, were bitten and did not look to this and, and died. There's also the, uh, what, what could Jude also be referring to? They get to the, to the river about to cross into Canaan land. God's already promised them the land of Canaan right after the flood when, when Ham um, kind of mocks his father and laughs at Noah when he's drunk, drunk and naked. And, and Noah says that Canaan will be cursed and Canaan's descendants will become slaves to Shem, which is Shem is the, the line that leads through Moses ultimately to Christ. And that there would be, they would live in the homes of the Canaanites and they would enjoy the vineyards that they didn't plant because the Canaanites had planted them and they had lived there for a long time. You'll remember that the children of Israel get right to the border about to go into Canaan land um, and they send 12 spies, and the spies come out, and they just don't believe that they can take the land that God's already promised them. And in doing so, they all perish in the wilderness. And so James is saying, just like those people that had seen and experienced God work by rescuing them from Egypt, allowing them to cross on dry land, 
through the Red Sea, providing manna for them, food, um, leading them by a, a cloud and a pillar of fire. God had proven himself over and over and over. And yet these same people did not believe that God was able to deliver to them what he had promised. And they perished in the wilderness. In verse 6, Jude talks and he says, And the angels who did not stay in their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. So he says that we can go all the way back to the children of Israel in Egypt, as we just talked about, and how they believed in God and God rescued them, and then they perished because of their unbelief in the wilderness. And now he takes us back again to an event in the Old Testament where angels left their abode and came, left their proper position. Now many people, and this is where I tend to fall, many people believe that in Genesis 6 when it says that the sons of God came to the daughters of men and that this race of Nephilim came out of that um, unholy relationship, evil relationship, perverse relationship where angels were meant to to stay in this place, right, to do these things, and they left their proper place and came and uh, were disobedient to God, that those same angels have been chained up uh, throughout um, history until the day of the great reckoning or the great judgment where God will um, unchain them and, and place them with Satan in, in the lake of fire, according to Revelation. Uh, again, this is Jude looking back and saying, let me remind you, there was a people who followed God and then they stopped believing and perished. Look back at the angels who were created to be messengers from God, but they left their proper place and they've been chained for all eternity. The next example is going to use Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 7, he says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so here, the same warning Jude gives us, be aware because the children of Israel knew God, they were chosen by God, and they get to the wilderness and, and they, they do not believe, and their disbelief results in them perishing in the wilderness. The angels leave their abode, they're chained for all eternity. Sodom and Gomorrah, living in sexual immorality. Uh, I'm not sure... This may be one of the most recognizable similarities between the present time and Old Testament time is this uh, sexual promiscuity. Um, listen, any sexual relationship outside of marriage between a naturally born man and a naturally born woman is a sin. One's not any worse than the other. They're all sins. Um, so sex before marriage, that's a sin. It, it's sexual immorality. Um, homosexuality, that's, it is, it's a sin. <clears throat> Not because I, I desire it to be so, but because the word of God says so. I believe God gives us grace. And so I believe these temptations to be real. Adultery, it's a sin just as bad as any other sexual immorality. But we see this ramp, rampant today and, and almost openly and blatantly in, in our face. And Jude's saying, you're supposed to be contending for the faith. You're supposed to be standing up for faith. And we live in such a time where based on what Scripture clearly teaches us, 
that the world has gone in a completely contrary way. And what we see really are two branches of church history now beginning to diverge. One that says we won't, we, we're not going to be politically correct. We're going to speak the truth of what Scripture says. We're going to be called all kind of names for it. When we really love people and we just don't want people to perish, as Jude is saying, we want them to know the truth of, of God's will and God's way in their life. And so whether it be disobedience, like the children of Israel, where they don't believe, where they uh, have a lack of faith, whether it be like the angels who left their proper place, whether it be sexual immorality, all of these things lead to some type of destruction uh, and has a, as a consequence that really is more than any of us want to pay. And so Judah's warning and saying, be careful because there are people infiltrating the church un, unknowingly. We, we're, we're just allowing people in the church unknowingly. I would just suggest this. I, I think there ought to be some criteria when, when new members want to join the church that we can make sure they understand both the doctrine of the church and the church can understand the doctrine of the potential member. And when those things are aligned and, and they have a common doctrinal belief, you know, for Baptists, ours the Baptist faith and message. If we don't agree on those things, it's going to be difficult for us to be unified. And so you need to make sure that before you join a church or for churches, before you allow people to join, that people understand what it is you believe and why you believe it. And then if you're unified in your doctrine, then, it, then that can be a beautiful relationship. But we have people who uh, we just, you know, some churches just allow anybody who wants to join, come and join. And then a year down the road, you find out that they really don't agree with something you're doing as a church when this should have been dealt with beforehand. So contend for the faith. Make sure you understand your own doctrine and those who are uh, considering your church that they know exactly what and why you believe it and that you uh, can understand what they believe. And there, there can be some things like non-essentials that, that aren't contending for the faith. But yet if we disagree on those things, if we fall into different camps, then maybe our church is not the right place for that person. Um, maybe based on what they tell us they believe, we can lead and direct them to the church where they'll feel comfortable. But we've got to contend for the faith. We've got to make sure that we're keeping check, that we, we have our eyes wide open, that like Jude is saying, he's warning us, don't allow just anyone to come into the church. Because when we do that, there are going to be those who come in unnoticed who will pervert the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, Yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. So these are, are three things they do. One is they defile the flesh. And so they're living fleshly lives. They, they are, um, the, the temple's not a holy place for them, right? Their body as the temple of God. So, so they defile the flesh. Uh, they treat the flesh however they want. They um, indulge in anything they want to indulge in, this hedonistic lifestyle. The, the second thing that Jude says these type of people do is they reject authority. And so they don't want anyone to be over them, even in their faith. And so they reject the notion that there is someone who has more authority than they do. It's, it's a notion that, uh, that looks and sounds something like this. Well, the Bible may say that, 
but I don't agree with it. As though the Bible has no authority in their life. So these people who are coming into the church unnoticed who are bringing a, a perversion of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're supposed to be aware of or Judah's warning us to be aware of. Um, the first is they live hedonistically however they want to live and they do whatever they want to do. The second is they're unwilling to subject themselves to the headship of Christ, to authority. And so they're not going to be told what to do even if it's by God and Scripture. And so how many times do we hear when we're sharing faith or we're talking about um, our faith with others? Maybe they, they're, they're unbelievers. Maybe they're believers. And as we talk about our faith, we, we, we hear people say things like, well, I know the Bible says that, but the Bible is old. And so I don't believe it's true today. I don't believe that part is meant for us today. Uh, well, it really doesn't matter what you believe, right? The fact is it's God's word and he's preserved his word. And that is the standard by which we are to live as individuals, as families, communities, and churches. That we're together together under the headship of Christ. And this here is what God's given us to ensure that we understand who he is, what he's like, and what he expects. And so this is the ultimate kind of mirror that we look into to see our own reflection to whether or not we're living up to what God's called us. Ephesians 4 says what, to live worthy of the calling in your life. We just studied Ephesians. And so Jude's kind of saying the same thing. But these people... Those who are coming into the church in Jude's day that he's warning about, they do not want any type of authority over them. They're going to live their life the way they want to live their life, and, uh, and God can either like it or lump it. Now, they would, most people would not say that, and most people don't even recognize if they're these people that they're living that way. But, but we need to examine our own self and, and ask, do my actions align with what I believe? Am I willing to subject myself to the authority and the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so he's our Lord and he's our master, our savior and our friend. Verse 9 says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. And so this goes, the third thing was to blaspheme. That is this notion of um, uh, really rejecting the word of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the word of God. So the one time we see blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, uh, it seems to question whether or not the work of, of the Spirit is valid. But to blaspheme is to it's to appoint uh, certain attributes to something that they do not fit. And so it's to accuse God of being something he's not. It's to take away from who God really is. And so these people don't really hold to the word of God as any authority. And what he does, he gives us an example. The example he gives us is, um, would take us back, I guess, to the end of Exodus, to, to the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, when Moses is not able to cross into the um, into Jordan or cross the Jordan, and uh, 
Uh, I, you know, what, what Jude is saying is there was this contention that took place between Michael and the devil. But even when Michael faced off the devil, he did not presume that he had authority. But he submitted and yielded himself to the Lord's authority. And in, in taking the body of Moses, he did not say, Satan, I'm going to. But rather he said that the Lord rebuke you. And so we, we need to, this is all about submission to Christ. And so as Jude is talking, Jude is writing, it's this notion, notion that as believers in Christ, we submit to the headship of Christ. Those who are false teachers or those who are coming into the church unnoticed are unwilling to submit to the headship of Christ. They do not like any authority in their life. And they will buck not only the authority of Scripture and God, but the, those who are in authority of the church, they will not function under the leadership and headship of those who God has placed in positions of authority in the church under Christ himself. Um, and then verse 10, but, to, but these people blaspheme all they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And so, uh, this is just kind of a warning where Jude says, don't act based on your instinct. Rather, act based on the foundation of the Word of God, based on what you know about Christ and what you know the truth to be about God. So, so don't, uh, an example of that would be something like, hey, be, be slow to speak and quick to hear. When someone says something and your instinct is to say something right back, uh, that might not be the right thing to do. And so rather than acting instinctively, we ought to know what does Scripture tell us to do. We'll be, be slow to speak. Live with one another um, in a humble, and a peaceful, bearing with one another. And so knowing that that's our responsibility as believers and Christians, we can't just spout off whatever we would like to instinctively, but rather we need to show grace because that, that's what God showed us. He gave us grace even when we did not deserve it. And then finally, uh, verse 11, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs. At your love feast. Your love feast is, is the Lord's Supper. And how they used to sit down. And partake of the Lord's Supper together. As they feast with you without fear. Remember that scripture teaches us. That before we take part. In the Lord's Supper. We must examine ourselves. Examine our hearts. And make sure that we don't have anything against God. Uh, or that God doesn't have anything. That he uh, has marked against our account. And that we do not have anything. Against our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we're to fix those things. Before we participate in the Lord's Supper. The, these folks that, that Jude is warning about, they, they don't fear God. They'll partake the Lord's Supper, even with the admonitions and uh, the warnings about taking it in a wrong way. Um, and so Jude just kind of walking us through this path of, th this is what these people are like. They're like the children of Israel who were led out of Egypt, saw God work, uh, you know, experienced God's deliverance firsthand, get to the wilderness, and all of a sudden they're ready to make an idol to serve rather than to serve the one true God. And because of their unbelief, they perish. Like the angels that were created uh, for God, for Christ, these messengers, these holy beings, right? 
um, heavenly beings, rather. Um, there were those who um, looked down on the, the sons, uh, these sons of gods looked down on the daughters of men. And according to Genesis 6, they left their abode is what Jude says they did. And they've been chained for all eternity because of it. Um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and their sexual immorality. We have to be careful that we don't allow our churches to, to be infiltrated by those um, listen, nobody's perfect, so I'm not saying that every church member should be perfect. None of them are. I'm not saying that a pastor can be perfect, because none of us are. What I'm saying is that there ought to be some standards within the church. This is what Jude's saying, by which we test um, whether one's faith is active or not, whether one really believes or not. And we, we can do this by the fruit by which they demonstrate and show in their lives. And so Jude says, be aware of these things. Be careful um, that you don't allow these people in unaware that they might corrupt and make the gospel perverse. And um, he describes them in verse 12. They don't partake of the Lord's Supper without fear. They are shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds... Swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam in their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I, I'm going to stop there tonight, but, but this is basically everything that he just lists are useless things. What good is a cloud if it doesn't have water? A waterless cloud does no good. Um, shepherds feeding themselves. Remember, shepherds are to tend the flock and then to use their flock in order to feed others, to clothe others. What If the shepherd only feeds himself and only clothes himself, what good is he? Um, yeah, uh, fruitless trees and laid on. What good is a fruitless tree? And so Jude describes those who would come in to the church unnoticed. And he says that basically these who come in have nothing to offer. They're not coming in to, um, I, I, I've heard it said before, and I don't know who said it, and it wasn't said exactly this way, so I don't want to, um, um, it's not an original opinion, but I don't know exactly where it came from or the exact phrase. Um, but, but I heard someone say, read someone say, that in the church we are to be fruit producers. Right? We are to, they ought to know us by our fruit. When in fact most of the people who are coming to our churches are fruit consumers. That they are coming in and they are selfish and they want to receive. But they don't want to give. And so Jude is just warning us and saying, when you allow those who come in who really don't adhere to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the gospel alone, um, you're opening yourself up so that the people in your church become like this. And so we, we need to be careful. Uh, two things, and, and uh, the first would be this. Use what Jude is saying to examine your own life. Look into your own heart. Examine your own heart, your own life, and make sure 
that the description that Jude gives to these who come into the church unnoticed is not a description of your life. So do some self-examination. And then secondly, pray. Pray for our churches, all, all of our churches. Pray that God would protect the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel in the churches, that he would protect the church itself from those who would come in unnoticed and defile the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for pastors, for elders, for deacons, that, that God would lead them spiritually to make the right decisions concerning the direction their churches are going and to preserve the gospel message there. Um, so we're going to look at, we're going to finish up Jude, um, I guess Wednesday night. And uh, Wednesday night, I'll let you know kind of uh, where we're going to be going on our Sunday night and Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, I really love doing Ephesians and was, was glad that we finished it up this past Wednesday. And uh, I just wasn't quite ready. And so I asked you to pray for me that as I pray and ask God to lead us into what he would have a study um, on, on Sundays and Wednesdays right now until we uh, go back into um, a little bit normal services every uh, every day of the, the church calendar. But, um, yeah, pray for me that, that God would, would uh, reveal to me, would just give me peace in my heart about what he would have us study and where he'd have us go next. And in the meantime, we get to take a look at a beautifully written book by Jude that is very, very practical. Uh, and it's a wonderful warning for our churches to be careful what we allow ourselves to get into and those that we allow to come in. And so, uh, so I hope nothing that you've heard sounds counterintuitive to the Christian walk. Uh, but this is a warning to believers about preserving the integrity of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that needs to be important to us. So I'm going to pray for us. And again, thank you for your time. I pray that if you didn't get to watch it live, that, that uh, you'll take some time and check it out. Uh, and definitely communicate with us through comments or, or uh, messenger. Um, so I invite you to do that. We'll try to get back to you as soon as we can. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that you would protect the integrity of your church and the people within your church. Help us, Lord, to stand for something, to stand on doctrinal principles, and to, uh, to hold fast to the essentials of the faith, to uh, ensure that people who are coming into our churches understand both what we believe and they can say and without any doubt they believe the same thing. When we explain why we believe it, that they understand the why and agree to that. And Lord, if there's those who disagree with our church's doctrinal statements on non-essential things and there's a church down the road that would be a better fit for that person, I pray that we would minister to them, not by trying to remove them or excommunicate them from our church, but to love them enough to help them find a place where they can flourish. And Lord, as, as always, help us to keep our guard up and our eyes open, always looking up. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.